We are concluding our series today on Paul's letter to the Philippians, a series we've entitled Basic Christianity. A pastor by the name of Bill Farley shared the following account of his visit to Wine Country, California. He writes, I pulled my car off the road at a well-known vineyard in Napa Valley, California on a lazy June morning. Formations of carefully pruned grapevines marched off in silent rows across the valley like stocky hobbits from a Tolkien novel. Each one had two stubby branches protruding shoulder high to bear the full weight of the coming grape harvest. A sun-weathered foreman was among the vines, and since wine-producing grapes have always fascinated me, I decided to ask him a few questions. How old do these vines get, I inquired. Oh, some can live 80 to 100 years, but they reach peak productivity at about 30 to 50 years. In fact, he continued... The flavor doesn't fully concentrate in the grapes until they advance in years. That's when we get our best wine. We discussed root diseases, the history of the Napa Valley. Then for some reason that I don't remember, he said, in fact, the taproot of some vines can go 30 to 40 feet deep. Some even reach the subsurface water table and become self-irrigating. And his phrase, self-irrigating, has lingered and taken on heightened meaning with the passing of time. For me, these words have become a vibrant picture of God's intention for every believer and a great personal encouragement. God seeks fruit. It grows to the extent that we, like these vines, sink our roots deep into an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul brings his letter to a close, and he ends by thanking the Philippians for their support. But this is no mere thank you tacked on to the end of his letter. He takes this opportunity to address one more topic, the topic of contentment. Like tap roots, whose root goes deep down below the surface in search of water, so God has designed for each of us to be tapped into him, so to speak. The essence of humility and the crux of what Paul has to say here at the close is this. Contentment comes from a heart tapped into the strength and supply of God. Contentment comes from a heart that is tapped into the strength and supply of God. Like those roots from those grapevines going down in search of water to become self-irrigating, our God, our Father of the Lord Jesus Christ is rich in supply. Rich in strength, infinite in his power. The scriptures tell us his mercies are new every morning. 
The scriptures tell us that his, he gives more grace in the book of James. The scriptures tell us if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, for God gives wisdom. He gives, he supplies, he strengthens, and he gives this to all that are tapped into him by faith. Now left to ourselves, we shrivel and die. Left to ourselves, we, our default mode is discontentment and dissatisfaction at every turn. We were meant, you and I were meant to thrive on the strength and supply of the Lord Jesus Christ. To find our joy and our peace in Him and in Him alone. Contentment comes from a heart tapped into the strength and supply of of God. And so if you have your Bible open to Philippians 4, let's see this together. And let's not only see this, my prayer has been that as we see this, that the Lord would help us to send our roots down further into his great supply, that we would leave here today more content, finding our joy and our peace in him rather than in other things. So Philippians 4, and we're going to start in verse 10. The Apostle Paul writes, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, But I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray.
Oh Lord, just being reminded this morning of your strength and of your great supply. Lord, I, I wonder why I ever doubt you, why I ever feel that need is going to overwhelm me. Your great strength, your power, and your supply, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ being with us, with our spirits. Lord, we thank you that these are promises that you've given because they are true. And because, Lord, you are a strengthening and supplying God who gets the glory. And so, Lord, as this morning as we come to you, we, we thank you. We come this morning expectant. We come to see how your bounty meets our need. Lord, I pray that you would just wean our appetite this morning off of the things of this world and satisfy us with you. Lord, for the burdens that are currently being borne by folks in our church, Lord, would you show yourself strong? You are the great shepherd of the sheep. Shepherd your people, Lord. Feed us, protect us, guide us. We pray according to your word. And we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Paul, his situation at the moment of writing this letter is he is in prison, likely in Rome. And prisoners at the time were at the mercy of friends and family to care for them. And that's exactly what the Philippians did. He's referencing a gift that they sent. It's possibly food, possibly clothing, money. They sent it by the hand of a man by the name of Epaphroditus. We heard about him in chapter 2. And while Paul is really glad that they remembered him, really glad to have his needs met while in prison, he's more moved by what they're partnership expresses, what the gift expresses than he is about the need it meet, the, the need that is met. He is seeking to have his roots go down deep into the strength and supply of God and he wants this contentment to have an effect on the Philippians and God wants to teach us this morning accordingly. That's why it's preserved in his word. So let's begin with tapped into the strength of God. Tapped into the strength of God. Paul declares a wonderful truth. Verse 13. He says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, I am sure if you have seen any kind of sports, you have seen this on painted on someone's face or showing up on someone's shoes. This verse of Philippians 4.13, it's a favorite verse of many. However, in the sports arena, it often gets stripped of its context that when we see this, I can do all things, it, it often seems to mean, hey, I can score on you. Hey, my team can beat your team. 
In fact, I can posterize you on my way to status of the greatest of all time, goat status. But that, as you could probably guess, is not even close to what Paul has in mind here when he penned these words. He's just talked about contentment. And so what is this, what is contentment? There's a lot of versions of that nowadays. What is contentment biblically defined? Well, we see in verses 11 and 12 that contentment is learned. He says in verse 11, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Contentment is learned. But not in a classroom, not in a, from reading a book. If you hold the, the button on your phone, or some of you don't have this button anymore, uh, and ask, hey, Surrey, you can learn a lot of things from Surrey. Not contentment, though. As we see the developments with AI, artificial intelligence, a lot of developments happening, they're not going to be able to teach us contentment. How did Paul learn this? He says he learned it by facing a broad array, the extremes of circumstances. Look at verse 12. He says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So Paul learned contentment by facing life with a full stomach and an empty one. He learned it by being in rich relationships and he learned it by feeling loneliness. He learned it by experiencing what some of us might call traveling mercies, uh, a trip that goes really well, and he learned it by being shipwrecked and robbed. So Paul is writing about contentment. He's not writing from the sofa with his feet up. He's writing from prison. Encountering these extremes. So contentment is learned. And this is where it is learned. In the broad or what array of circumstance. Paul also says that contentment is a secret. A secret. He says, I have learned the secret. And the idea behind this word secret is something that is unknown that another shares with you and brings you on the inside. Someone reveals to you. That's the idea of here of secret. So no one just figures out contentment. God must teach us contentment. He must teach us the secret and we know this because there's lots of people, when you hear the, the extremes of circumstance, we all know lots of people who face those circumstances and they come away jaded, they come away despondent, they don't come away content. And because contentment is a secret, church, it is rare. It is rare. Mark Twain uh, once said of a classic book or of classic books, he said, a classic is something everyone wants to have read and nobody wants to read. And I think the same could be said about contentment. We all want to be, or at least be known as a content 
joyful, peaceful, in God, individual. We just don't necessarily want to go through what's required to get us there. And so contentment is learned. It's a secret. Contentment is not being this unflappable stoic. The person who's always calm, always collected, nothing ever seems to bother them. That's not exactly what he has in mind here. Contentment, rather, is living like Jesus is enough. So it's not just being calm. It's living like Jesus is all I need. And this is where Paul goes in in verse 13 with his declaration. He says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Contentment is being tapped into the Lord Jesus Christ, into his strength. In fact, this word translated here, contentment, it's, it's a word that's very common in Greek philosophy. So Plato was, was known to be content in this way. It's a compound word that literally means self-sufficient. And Paul takes this word that everybody would have been familiar with, the Stoics would have been using, And he repurposes it and he says, yeah, no, it's not self-sufficient, it's Christ-sufficient. He provides the strength. I'm tapped into the strength of Christ. Continually drawing on, continually going to, continually receiving that nourishment and that power from Christ. this This is what he means when he says, I can do all things. He doesn't mean I can fly to the moon right now. I can design a combustion engine thousands of years before they're ready. No, he means I can face all the extremes of life with the strength that Christ provides. Because he's my strength. I mean, I would love to see an athlete with this, you know, painted on their face. Philippians 4.13. And for them to mean by this... I could lose every game and still be joyful. You know, I'd love to see them painted on their face, say, I I could have the worst night of my career right now and it wouldn't crush me. Or I could suffer a career-ending injury and Christ would still be enough for me. That's, That's what Paul has in mind, the good and the bad, abounding and being brought low because Jesus is enough. Paul includes contentment here at the end of his letter because it is basic to Christianity and it is a wonderful fruit of the humility he's been talking about all through the letter. Some of you know the name Thomas Watson. He was a a Puritan, so think 1600s. He wrote an entire book on verse 11. It's a good book. It's called The Art of Divine Contentment. Um, I bought it. I read it last year because I realized I need a lot of help in this. I thought, well, if you can't, if I have to learn it from life circumstance, I might as well start with a book. And so read that, benefited from it greatly. I would commend it to you. He writes, Behold the excellency of contentment. If God is mine says the contented spirit, it is enough. Though I have no lands or tenements, 
His smile makes it heaven. His love is better than wine. I have little in hand, but much in hope. My livelihood is short, but this is his promise, eternal life. I am pursued by malice, but better is persecuted godliness than prosperous wickedness. Contentment comes from a heart tapped into the strength of God. We have to recognize as well, what's, well, what's the alternative? If I'm not tapped into his, his strength, what's the alternative? Well, the alternative is very common. It's going to our circumstances for our joy and our peace. I don't need to preach a message on that because I think we all know that very well. We live that every day, that temptation to go to our circumstances, go to our situation in hopes that we will find the joy and the peace that we need. It's like a grapevine, instead of its taproot going deep in search of water, it's like going to the surface, having shallow roots. And one of the the author I began with, Bill Farley, he noted this when he was speaking to that foreman out in the vineyard. uh, vineyard. He says, drought stretches the natural vine's root. As long as there is abundant water on the surface, the root feeds there. But drought sends the tap root deep in search of moisture. The more frequent and severe the droughts, the deeper the taproot grows. Where your job is marked by abundance, good pay, recognition, dignity in what you do, it's easy for the roots of our joy and the roots of our peace to go up to the surface. But when your job is drought-like, it is purposeful so that your root would go deep in deeper into the one, into him who strengthens you. When you find that your family and relationships are a constant source of strain, it's, it's a type of drought that is meant to drive you deeper into the Lord. When you and I get the house that we want, get the spouse that we want, get the elected official official that we want, get the health that we want when we want it, it's easy to mistake getting what we want for contentment. This was a big thing for me this week as I was just realizing how much of my so-called contentment is just really tied to, hey, I, I finally got what I wanted. Yeah, so now I'm happier. More peaceful, more joyful. And it's like, well, that has little to do with going down deep into the Lord. And yet the Lord designs, and some of you may be experiencing this in different areas of life, the Lord designs drought and series of droughts. What does he say? The more frequent and severe the droughts to send us deep into God for our strength, for our supply. To be able to say, I I have no strength in and of myself. I I can't, but he can. That's part of his design, to learn that Jesus is enough. 
Listen, if you have turned from sin and trusted in Jesus, verse 13 is one of the many precious promises to hold on to. You and I can endure all trials through him who strengthens us. You and I can obey the Lord in all circumstances through him who strengthens that obedience. You and I can resist all forms and all manner of temptation by the strength that he gives. You can do all things. You and I can do all things through him who strengthens us. And many of you know the opposite of verse 13. The opposite of verse 13 shows up in John 15, 5, where Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So we can do all things through him who strengthens us. But apart from him, we can do nothing. It's the invitation. We're either tapped into Christ by faith and we can do all things or we are going on our own strength, going on our own wisdom. And we find that we can't do anything of eternal value. So the question that is implicit in this first point for us today is this, are you tapped into the strength of God? Are you tapped into his strength? Are you going deep and allowing those moments and seasons and decades of drought to drive you deeper into the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ? That's his design. So Paul goes from talking about Contentment comes from being tapped into the strength of God in verses 10 through 13 to talking about being tapped into the supply of God in verses 14 through 20. Tapped into the supply of God. And in verse 19, we have another famous verse. If there are verses that put Philippians on the map, it's verse 13 and verse 19. You may be familiar with this. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. That is a great verse. That is a precious promise. Perhaps you have memorized it. But like verse 13, it's another verse that's easily stripped of its context. So I want us to look at how Paul arrives in the context to this declaration. Look at verse 14 again. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. 
And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul says that the Philippians shared in his trouble. This is the word for fellowship or partnership. The Philippians were not just a church focused inwardly on themselves. They were partners for the work of the gospel going forward. Paul had planted this church in Philippi. But the Philippians, uh, and then after he left Philippi, he went to the city right down the street, Thessalonica. He was there only a few weeks. And Paul says that in those few weeks, he says, they sent me help for my need once and again. So in a few weeks' time, he receives multiple gifts from the Philippians. And now they're sending another gift while he's in prison in Rome. And so Paul is deeply grateful. But he's not so much focused on the gift, but what the gift represents. This gift represents partnership. Verse 15. It represents that they have an eternal perspective on money. Verse 17. It represents worship of God. Verse 18. And so Paul is able... And the Philippians are able to do what the Lord would have them to do and give so that every need can be supplied. And so this is his basis for, hey, we don't need to be stingy. We don't need to be fearful. We can be joyfully generous because of the promise right here. He's, we're tapped into the supply of God. Tapped into his supply. You know, once uh, Crystal and I, our family, we went over to have dinner with another family, not in this church. Um, and so they invited us over. They wanted to grill out. And so we went on the back porch, me and the, the guy, and he goes to start the grill. And I can't remember what happened, but the grill didn't start. And so he goes, oh, bummer. And I'm thinking, well, there goes dinner. Like, we'll, we'll have to come order something or come up with another plan. He goes, oh, here, come with me. We go right next door. His dad lived next door. We go onto his back porch, and he goes, here, help me with this. And we grab his grill, and we just pull it back, and then he fires it up, and we were eating dinner, grilled dinner. And I came to find out that this wasn't like just like a one-off type of thing. Like he would go over to his dad's house. I saw him like driving his dad's car. Uh, One time his dad's like, hey, uh, do you have my mower? Can you bring that back? Because I need to mow my yard now. And I realized, oh, he's tapped into the supply of his dad. Like major, like like when something breaks down, he's not like, oh no, what am I going to do? He's like, I know exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to walk 10 feet over there and I'm going to get exactly what I need. Well, in a similar way, Paul points out, look at what you are tapped into. Look at, look at what is not even 10 feet away. Verse 19, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Church, we are tapped into God's riches. God's riches in glory or his glorious riches that find culmination in Jesus Christ. 
He has supplied us and he promises to continually supply us from these never depleting, inexhaustible riches. I mean, what, what need has he supplied for you and I in Christ, like already? I mean, th- I, I, I don't have enough time to unpack all the needs that he has supplied for us because they are so many. But here's the sampling. You and I needed God not to treat us as our sins deserve. We needed mercy, and God, out of the inexhaustible riches that is in Christ, gave us mercy. He treated us better than we deserve. He didn't treat us as we deserved. He gave us mercy, and then he gave us grace, unmerited favor, which it says he poured out richly in Jesus Christ. He gave us mercy. He gave us grace. We needed a sacrifice. We needed someone to atone for our sins, appease the righteous wrath of God for our sins, and he supplied out of the riches that's in Christ. He gave his son, his only son, to meet our greatest need, his death on the cross for us and for our sin. All these titles of Christ is the supply We needed an advocate with the Father. Who does he supply? Jesus Christ, the righteous one. We needed a mediator to mediate between us and God. Who does he supply? The one mediator, Jesus Christ. We needed reconciliation in a right relationship with God. What does he do? He brings us near by the blood of Christ. We needed power for newness of life. And the Father and the Son send the Spirit into our hearts and lives. We needed joy. He gives us his joy. We needed peace. He is the Prince of Peace. We needed wisdom. In him, the wisdom of God dwells fully. And he he gave it to us from that supply. So when we get to this promise, and my God will supply every need of yours. We're starting with, oh no, not with, oh no, I'm so needy. We're starting with, look at how he has already been so faithful to supply. And he will supply every need of ours according from that same bounty, those same riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Contentment comes from a heart that is tapped in to this supply. And there are certainly things this morning, I'm aware, just even being aware of different needs in the church, I'm aware this morning there may be things we came in saying, well, I've got this need, and this need remains unmet. And we can certainly feel like there are things that we need. When you don't have a job, you're like, well, I need a job. When we can feel like, okay, I need this chronic pain to go away. I need a spouse. I need a change in my circumstances. I need my health to do a 180. But take Paul's confidence of declaring verse 19 and map it onto his situation. He's in prison. 
he could easily be saying, I don't know if God actually meets needs. I've been here a long time, and I have no idea if I'm getting out. But that's not what he says. He declares confidently, my God will supply every need of yours. He's confident in the rich supply of God. You know, perhaps this morning, some of the things that we look at as needs and we think of as lack, God is actually supplying something else that we need, like contentment, like sanctification, like growth in our faith, stronger faith. Elizabeth Elliot, some of you know that name. She was a widow to missionary and martyr Jim Elliot. She once wrote, she says, God has promised to supply all our needs. What we don't have now, we don't need now. I appreciate that perspective. Contentment comes from a heart tapped into the strength and supply of God. It's learned. And it's not learned with our feet propped up most of the time. It's learned by facing a difficult array, by facing those droughts, metaphorically speaking. It's a secret. God has to bring us into it. God has to teach us. That is one of the things he is seeking to do, even now in the things you and I are facing in life. Contentment is living like Jesus is enough because he is enough. And it is in the midst of drought that our roots are meant to go deeper into God as the source, our only source of joy and peace because he is enough. I can invite the worship team to return, please. I quoted Elizabeth Elliot. This is one of the reasons I love biographies, reading about saints who've gone before us, is because they just, they have a way of talking about this that is rare in 2023. I read saints whose hearts were tapped into the strength and supply of God, and here's just a a few ordinary ones. Some of you know the name George Mueller. He's a 19th century pastor. He started an orphanage, he was regu- which was regularly in need, it seemed like. But God provided. And here's what he wrote. He says, the only way to learn strong faith is to endure great trials. I have learned my faith by standing firm amid severe testings. Charles Spurgeon, who I quote often, his wife was bedridden. And as many of you know, he faced depression for decades. He says this, he said, trials are the winds which root the tree of our faith. And then Jonathan Edwards, who's an 18th century pastor, theologian here in America, Northampton, Massachusetts. His church was meeting to oust him out as pastor Accusations were brought against him. And during those proceedings, here's what some friends said of his conduct. They said, his happiness is out of the reach 
of his enemies. Three ordinary saints tapped into the strength and the supply of God. Grace Come to Church, may our joy not go to the surface, not be in our circumstances and in our situations and what is going on in our daily lives, but rather may it go deep into the strength of God and the supply of God. We can do all things through him who strengthens us. And our God will supply every need of ours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To him be glory forever and ever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do pray that you would make this practical for us for the things that we are facing even now of what you are attempting to do, Lord, that you would find us eager and willing to find you as our supply, you as our strength, to be satisfied in you as enough. And so we pray that you would lead us this morning. Lord, where we have gone to things other than you for our joy and our peace, just tried to be stoic in our demeanor, Lord. We, we want our joy and our happiness to be in you. Forgive us. Open our eyes to see the preciousness of these promises. The supply and the strength that is found in you and you alone. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name.